All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. Well, over the last week and a half, of course, you would have seen some of the media reports around uh, petrol stations that have been selling contaminated diesel. In particular, the Department of Minerals and Energy saying that it has identified this practice at at least 70 filling stations across the country. This diesel, we understand, is mixed with illuminating paraffin. And of course, you as the unsuspecting buyer uh, will often buy this product without knowing that it is contaminated well how was this practice identified what are the names of the petrol stations and the petrol brands that are behind this practice that have been uh, fingered in this investigation by the department and what is the association what is the industry doing about it uh, these are just some of the questions that we'll answer over the next hour Robert Mike is the director of fuel pricing at the Department of Mineral Resources Robert good morning to you thanks for your time. Uh, good morning, Katie and the listeners. Reggie Sibia is the CEO of the Fuel Retailers Association. Reggie, good morning. Always a pleasure. Uh, good morning, uh, Katie, and good morning, uh, Robert and listeners. Robert, what triggered this investigation in your department? Uh, it's not a once-off investigation, Katie. It's an annual work that we do on fuel quality monitoring, which started in 2007. So every year, we'll have a sample of service station that will visit for compliance uh, enforcement, not only checking the diesel and the petrol, but other things as well, to ensure that they comply with their license conditions. So it just happened, it just happened that uh, between April and December last year, we saw the number of non-compliance on diesel uh, being very high at 70 service stations out of that sample. How big is your sample? Uh, well, per annum, we have about 1,080 service stations. That's what we target every year. A target or reach? That's, a, that's our target and we reach every year, yes. Okay, all right. So so you have 70 of those, um, 1,080 then, that were found to have been um, contaminating their diesel. Now, I would imagine that in the case of fuel retailers, it doesn't just matter that it's 70 fuel stations, but it also what also counts a lot would be the kind of volumes that these petrol stations are actually selling or, or on a month-to-month basis. Is it directed to me or Mr. Yes, no, 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 to you, Robert. Well, I wouldn't know. To us, the most important thing is that the, the fuel that is sold to consumers, irrespective of, of the volume size, should be of the required specification. That is why I will go and enforce compliance, whether it's a big service station, mm. a small service station. To us, it does not matter. As long as you sell to the consumers, you have a license and you have to comply with the license condition. How do you then measure what the full-scale impact of this is uh, has been look uh, it's difficult for us to say the 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 the, the impact of this on, on motorists and so on is so much because we don't say how many liters were contaminated all we do is when we, we go to a service station we collect the sample we take it to the lab we get the result we share the result with you if you don't comply we tell you that you don't comply we issue it with a non-compliance notice we give you, we instruct you to stop selling that fuel immediately. But we also then give you uh, 14 days 
to, to then comply, to provide remedial action. If you still don't comply within the 14 days, we give a final notice. After that, then we initiate the process to, 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 to uh, reprocess your license. Why are why are retailers still given the opportunity to comply? One would think that if somebody is contaminating a product like diesel with other substances, that is breaking the law. Well, the, our current policies and regulations are structured in such a way that the, the idea was to allow the service, uh, service station to actually correct. Remember, the most important thing also is security of fuel supply in those areas. So we cannot just close the service station and the following day or the following month people have, don't have fuel in the area. So the idea was to allow the, the operators to actually correct their actions, really which then we can then uh, take their license away and uh, a new operator will come in. So part of the reason why then you give this period to self-correct is um, because of the impact it'll have on the community to have or to not have a, a service station around. Yes, that's what, that's initially our thought about security of fuel supply in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we are doing now, uh, we are starting the process to amend our our act, our petroleum product act, to now empower the the, the inspectors to be able to issue spot fines when they go to this side and they find that they're not complying. It's a process that we've started. It will take a bit of time, but that's what we are heading towards. Mr. Sabia, let me bring you into this conversation. I would imagine that this is a practice that, as the Retailers Association, you are aware of. But perhaps speak to me about how prevalent it is. Is this figure by the Department of Minerals and Energy. Do you feel that that is a figure that is fully reflective of how widespread this kind of behavior might be? Thank you, Katie. Yes, it's difficult, you know, without, uh, you know, the the proper, uh, you know, statistics. But um, what I can confirm and, and agree with Mr. Mark is that it is a growing trend. Uh, and as you are working as the association is always been vocal about this because there are various types of uh, transgressions this is just one of them uh, this thing has started you know when we were very vocal 10 years ago with uh, illegal wholesalers you know um, uh, trading directly to the pu- to the public and we're saying uh, to the department Let's please just nail this on the head while it is still just coming up because it's going to grow to a point where it's going to be very, very difficult to manage. And I think we are at this point now that these illegal operations have actually mushroomed. Uh, they have not seen anybody being, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the sanctioned. Uh, uh, having their licenses withdraw- withdrawn, mm. those who have licenses, by the way, because some of them don't even have the licenses. So it's very difficult to actually quantify. But what we know is that it is on the increase. And as the FRA, we have been very vocal about it. And, Katie, um, <clears throat> you ask a very important question uh, in your introduction. What is the industry doing about it? You know, um, as far back as 2019, 2020, uh, this thing was first revealed through a presentation by uh, Katja Blatch. 
And in that presentation, Kati Blatt was actually working with the SRA, and we were actually uh, leading them to some of these uh, dodgy operations. And they actually captured the operations live, and they were interviewing these dodgy operators. And it was very, very clear that the problem is with us. We then, from that point, uh, obviously, everybody was under pressure. Everybody was panicking. And the seed really came from the FRA president and say, why don't we start a, a compliance forum as the stakeholders? Because we believe that DMRE is doing their best to uh, cut this thing. But the legislation has got gaps, you know, because the legislation has never been amended to actually start um, <clears throat> dealing with these issues based on experience. And so is the regulations. So we started that, uh, you know, uh, industry forum, and it was very clear what that forum needed to achieve. We set ourselves a target. We said, let's set a target that within six months, we should have offenders brought into the book. Because we also understand uh, the uh, limitations uh, of the legislations and the regulations, we also brought our lawyer. Uh, at a cost to see how we can assist the department to maneuver, you know, within this, because it is still possible to do it effectively. And we also said, instead of stretching throughout the country, why don't we do a blitz strategy? Let's start with Mpumalanga, for example, because that's where it was right at the time. Let's start with one province. Let's target 10 of these offenders. Let's follow them up to the point where they really comply or we actually take their licenses and we get, them, we get rid of them in the system. But the problem is that that industry forum, I'm sorry to say it, it then just diverted from the original purpose. It just became a talk shop. It was more about information sharing and statistics, and, but no action. If we were to go to the original objectives of the forum, and say, these were your original objectives. Which one have you achieved? We have not achieved anyone. So we need to have a self-introspection as the industry. I think we need to go back with the department to that original plan, you know, and, and be serious about it and be committed about it. And Katie, you know, just on this point, just a week, last week, before this thing came, uh, you know, into, into the public, we as FRA, together with the department, were in high court. We were defending, you know, against an offender who had been issued four notices and they were not willing to oblige. And then we were putting pressure on the controller to say, take away his their license. And the controller eventually did. And this offender then appealed uh, the decision to the minister as part of the process. And the minister <clears throat> did not actually um, grant uh, uh, the appeal. So, which means then that the offender still was declared as somebody who doesn't have a license. He then uh, escalated the matter to high court, uh, applying for an urgent interdict uh, that uh, the, he must be allowed to, to get his, any loss in that court, in that court, in court case. And, the point is here, we did this together with the department, and it was not the first one. There is one that we did together, together with the department, also in high court. 
and we won. So what I'm saying is that we have a formula where if we work, work and collaborate together mm. with the department, we can actually keep this thing. And okay. we need to actually just be focused and know what we want to do at any particular point in time. Robert, what has been largely publicized is the contamination of diesel. What are the other products that you find will also often fall prey to contamination? That's the main non-compliance that we find, mainly because they are the similar chemical uh, components or composition or characteristics, if you like, but also because you can also uh, cut out the fuel level in the road accident fund, which is not included on, on, on paraffin, and then you can actually sell your diesel very, very much cheap and still make a lot of profit. All right. So, so, so the contamination then is confined to just diesel, if I understand you correctly. Yes, in the main majority of fuel contamination is on the diesel side. There are other non-compliance that Mr. Zia talked about of dual operation or on the four cords, other things where you don't label it properly and so forth. But in the main, contamination is on the diesel. Mm. Reggie, you, you talked about the fact that Mpumalanga was a hotspot a few, a few years ago. Which are the areas, um, you know, in, in the country right now? And Robert, you can also answer this question that are, are falling prey to this contamination. Which are the hotspot areas now? Well, um, okay. Okay. I'll give you the, okay. the top four provinces on our list is Limpopo, Northwest, KZN, and Bumalanga still featuring there. So these are the top four provinces. Where this uh, this uh, up out of the seventy service uh, stations that we found, the issue of 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 deregulation, Reggie, versus cheap diesel. Where where do we draw the line? Because we know that because diesel is deregulated, um, it means that you know retailers can play around with the price. But at which point should we as unsuspecting consumers then begin to think, wait, this is not just cheaper diesel, but there might actually be a lot more at play. Yes, Katie. Uh, so I don't think it's got to, yes, partly it's got to do with that, uh, uh, you know, where uh, mm. because it's deregulated, people obviously can uh, try and compete on price and discount, and with that comes a lot of things. But you know, which is which is the point with as the FRA, we've been actually saying, you know, um, there are benefits on regulation because if you know that the price is set, uh, you know, uh, then the consumer is protected. But on the other side, you know, um, even if the diesel price was regulated, I mm. mean, and somebody was mixing this product, then it mm. just means they'll be making more profit margin. Because mm. they'll be selling, you know, um, half of the actual product uh, uh, at, at a premium price. So I don't think that is the solution uh, to to cap this. The, the solution is to actually deal with the actual uh, problem uh, at hand. Mm. Part of the problem is that, um, you know, when we drive into uh, fuel service stations, 
and we're there to buy whatever product we need, it's difficult for us to be able to check on the spot, oh, well, is what I'm buying actually um, a quality product or, you know, whether it's part of those that have been contaminated? So how can consumers then better protect themselves in, 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 in this situation, Reggie? What 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 are the markers of, um, of potential contaminated product that is being sold that we can begin to be aware of? Um, uh, Katie, let me just, firstly, you, you touched on the issue of um, consumers, uh, basically right, the, the way I, 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 I interpret this. Uh, and actually, we have not talked a lot about it. And so, um, because number one, yes, it's very difficult for, it's actually almost impossible for a, 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 a consumer to know uh, that the product that's going to your vehicle is actually uh, of standard. It's, that, that's very uh, difficult at the moment. I'm not saying in the future there won't be any technologies to do that. Um, but uh, let me just talk about the current situation. Uh, this is a principle, uh, and it's linked to the Consumer Protection Act. Uh, currently, for, for all these years, uh, the mixing of products, you know, it's not a new thing. Um, let me tell you, for example, before this diesel and paraffin story, so there, sometimes there would be a mixing of, of genuine products, especially um, from the supplier to the retail service station where a supplier will drop. All right. Uh, Mr. Mr. Sabir, Mr. Sabir, apologies to inter- interject there. Um, we'll continue with the conversation in a moment. I don't want you to go any further so that uh, I don't interrupt you while you are in, you know, deep in the explanation. It's 10.30. It's time for the latest news headlines. We'll continue our conversation with Reggie Sabir and Robert Mage. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, we continue our conversation looking at the issue of contaminated um, diesel in particular that the Department of Minerals and Energy has released uh, a report on its findings on in 70 filling stations in particular across the country um, that have been found to have been selling diesel mixed with illuminating paraffin. Reggie Sibia is the CEO of the Fuel Retailers Association and Robert Maike is the Director of Fuel Pricing at the Department of mineral resources. So, Reggie, you were just explaining the forms in which the mixing of products has been taking place over the years. Yes, Katie. So, and those were like genuine mistakes, for example, but where I want to I'm driving at is what is the, uh, the, 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 the recourse for the motorist because the principle is the same. So, for example, a truck would come, it doesn't happen frequently, but it used to happen at some point. So a truck will come and, and, and drop a diesel in a, in a petrol tank. So the mm-hmm. retailer can't see that a mix happening and then mm-hmm. cars comes and fill in and then it's when the car, because if that mixing happens petrol and diesel, the car won't even drive 100 meters. It will then just park. Then the motorist knows immediately that there was a problem with the fuel that I had. And that's the only time the retailer now realizes, yes, there's a problem. So there's one customer, there's another one coming, there's another one coming. So we've dealt with those cases. 
and another kind of a mixture is sometimes caused by the motorists. They come to the site, and you've got Mrs. XY who drives a petrol car, and today she decides she wants to drive her husband's car, which is a diesel car. She comes by the pump with a diesel car. She says, please give me 500 rand petrol. And obviously, petrol attendant puts the 500 petrol, then there's a problem. So those things have been happening, are still happening. But in terms of the Consumer Protection Act, it protects the consumer. The consumer can come back to the service station, and then there is an investigation. After a proper investigation, if it is really found that the problem has come from the service station, the service station is obliged to actually take care of the cost of repairing the car. We know that, and our, our members, actually, we are encouraging uh, them every time to even look at increasing their um, third-party insurance because some of these new vehicles can be very costly. You know, So we have been driving that, that, that message. So what I'm thinking is that there is a recourse for motorists. The problem yeah. that with this diesel and paraffin, I'm not a technical uh, expert myself. So I'm not, I don't know, uh, somebody will need maybe to assist us as to at what point does this thing damage the car? Because we, we know that this has been happening, you know, uh, and, and my little knowledge is that there is a ratio of paraffin that you can put into diesel without making a spark in terms of vehicle, you know, damages. But I don't, I'm not an expert. So we need to get an expert to come and explain us. And I think this is what these um, blenders do. These are skilled people. That's why this blending cannot be done by a retailer. Mm. This, is a, this is a skill. They know exactly that it won't be easily be detected if we put so much of paraffin in there. So, so, so then who do you... Who is doing the blending, um, Robert? You're the ones that 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 did this investigation, and we know that, of course, it it is a full supply chain. But where are the gaps in that supply chain? Does it arrive at the fuel retailers um, already mixed? Is it the wholesaler that is responsible for this? Well, Katie, in our view, the mixing does not take place at the service station. Uh, it's the supplier that brings contaminated product to the service station. That is correct. I, I can I, I agree with Mr. Marquette. Uh, That's why it is happening. That's why we were saying, even with this 70 uh, service station, um, this is a start. So we've identified them. So let's go back to them. Let's do a thorough investigation. The DMRE has got a date in which the sampling was done. So if the DMRE goes back to the service station and says, this is the date you did the sampling, show us the, 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 the delivery notes for that uh, date and the invoices for that date so that we know who was the supplier. Then they trace, we trace the supplier, we go to the supplier, we say, here is your delivery note on this and this date. This is the sampling that shows that the product was actually substandard. Please account. So it is not a difficult investigation mm, to do. Mm. And, and Robert, are you doing that? I mean, beyond this report, 
how much initiative is being taken to hold the the wholesalers or the suppliers um, that are behind this practice accountable? Yeah, uh, I think, uh, Katie, we, what Mr. Zia is proposing will be after effect. Because remember now, when we collect the product from a service station and take it to a lab, it takes us a few days uh, before we can get the results. Now, when you go back to the, to the wholesaler, you'll find that now the diesel that you are dealing with now is a completely different product. So now the department will need to have evidence that the product that is in the tank is the one that is tested. Now the, rich, the, the wholesaler can argue with us and even take us to court because we don't have a sample that comes from the tank except what we found in the service station. He may argue that he, he, he delivered the service station, but maybe the one that was sold is a different one. So across the value chain, we need to all have our own responsibility and accountability. As a retailer, it's our view as a department. But since we have to also uh, comply with your license conditions, when you order a product to, to your site, you need some level of assurance when the product is delivered on your site that indeed this is the product that you have ordered before you can even sell it to consumers because we have that level of responsibility. But, so, 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 our, so, so Robert, what, what are you saying? Are you saying that as things stand, even after you've sent those samples for testing, you still can't go back and hold anybody accountable because it's hard to do so? The person who can hold accountable is the retailer who sold the product to the to the to the motorist. We found the product at the tank of the retailer. That's to us, that's the person who must account. Then the retailer can have a recourse to say, I got this product from X or whatever the contractual agreement, then that's where the retailer can also have a recourse. But we must understand different responsibilities along the value chain. However, yeah. if a retailer receives a product that's contaminated, and before he can even sell it, he comes and informs the department, I got this product from company X, and it looks suspicious or, or contaminated. We immediately send our inspectors there uh, to then sample the product and make sure we get the lab results. And then if indeed the product is contaminated, then we follow the normal processes uh, to enforce compliance. But, uh, but if, if you find contaminated product, Robert, and the yes. retailer tells you that this is my supplier, who brings me this product on a weekly, on a monthly basis, why would it not be easy to go to that retailer, I mean, to that supplier anyway? Well, if they do tell us, we'll go, definitely. But but why aren't you asking? So what I'm trying to get to is how much commitment is there to actually root out the practice? Because it seems like you take one step forward and you put so much energy and effort into this testing. But once the testing is done, you know, the department sort of takes a seat back and hopes retailers self-correct. You, you don't go to the root of the problem. Yeah, I think, Katie, I think we need to work with the retailers on that one as well. Because if they cooperate with us, and they identify these suppliers who are giving them this uh, contaminated fuel, then we can go to the root cause uh, of where the problem in, in, uh, comes from. Then we can together be able to, to then deal with the problem. But, 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 are you, but are you asking them? Are you asking them who the retailers, I mean, who the suppliers are? Well, we don't necessarily, I'm not sure if uh, Mr. Gagan is here with me as well. When we go to sample, we just collect the sample and get the result and give them the result. 
but they are at uh, liberty to tell us who supplies them. Most of the, for example, the major oil companies will know who their suppliers are. But some of these uh, non-branded sites, you may not, not necessarily know who their suppliers are because they can even change suppliers depending on where they find cheaper diesel. So that becomes a bit of challenge. But if, if it's something that we will have to do and ask them who their supplier is, we can do that. Um, especially if the, the product is contaminated, which then additional work for our inspectors. But we can see how we can incorporate that together to be able to deal with the problem. Some of these, yeah. these retailers, by the way, Katie, they also collaborate uh, with these wholesalers because of this cheaper diesel and the, the fact that they can make big bucks quicker. Yeah, and, 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 and I hear all of that, Robert, but um, um, you know, it, it seems like the research is done, the effort is made to try and get a sense of what's happening in the industry, but then it ends there, which is probably why the practice is, is continuing and is on the increase. Reggie, what do you make of that? Surely um, the suppliers themselves also need to be investigated here. There must be a way in which we root out the problem because if it's a problem that exists but there's no intention to root it out then why bother with the sampling in the first place? Katie, that's exactly been our uh, uh, you know uh, a, a, a proposal as the uh, uh, FRA when this thing started and, and somehow it, it, it sounded like we're defending and we're, we're not defending anybody we just say Go to the root cause of the problem. And then when you have actually been investigated properly, then whoever is guilty must be charged because even wholesalers are under the licensing regime of the department. In fact, a wholesaler who does that will also need to be dealt with really, really seriously because the wholesale license is very clear also in terms of the quality of products that must be delivered to the retailer is within the, the licensing. So the, the DMRE has those regulations to actually deal with them exactly. And if it is a retailer, the retailer must face the music. But all I'm we've been saying is that it's very difficult to make anybody accountable with just this kind of evidence where there is no detailed investigation of what is the source of the problem. So wholesalers need to be brought into this equation. And that's why I'm still emphasizing that if we have the date of the sampling, it doesn't matter whether the product has changed. We know that. But on this date, the product was substandard. We know that. Here mm. the, mm. is, is the evidence. Yeah. Where is the invoice that matches the delivery of that date? Here it is. The invoice has got the supplier name. For me, that is just credible evidence. I don't think anybody can actually get away from that evidence. All right. To let, account for. Let me bring in some of our listeners into the conversation. Warren, you're in Durban. Good morning. Um, what do you want to contribute to this conversation? Uh, morning, Kathy. Great to hear your voice again. And, you know, it's very frustrating listening to the spin that happens, whether it's from private sector or from government sector representatives. They really take us for fools. And it's very frustrating they need to respect us and stop that. If you are inspecting a facility and you take a sample and you find a sample is, is a substandard, you can charge, surely you can create a regulation where you can charge the, 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 the operator of that facility, first of all, on a thing like based on the volume of the tank. So if the tank was 100,000 liters when full, you charge them 
based on the fact that you, you say that they sold 100,000 liters of contaminated material. Or you can escalate it to what's the average uh, uh, number of liters they, they, they've sold per month. They have records for that. They buy and sell every month. They've got records. So I have to get those records. So you can charge them on an average, and you can escalate it if it's a repeat offender. So government has power to, 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 to write, to draft regulations, to determine what is evidence, and to take people to task. You can't keep saying we can't do anything about the problem. Then you are the problem. Sorry, sir. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right. That's Warren. Yunus, you're in Johannesburg. Good morning. Kathy, I don't think this problem is only limited to diesel. Now, let me explain to you. Take 93 and 95 petrol. The difference can vary from 20 to 40 cents. Now, I've heard this before. There are some unscrupulous garage owners. What they do, Kathy, is instead of putting in 90, 90 they put in 93 fuel in the 95 tank. So, in other words, they're scoring. Are you with me? Yes, so, yes, yes. And it's happened, I'm telling you, and I'd like them to know. So what we should be doing is doing random testing. So in other words, these unscrupulous garages, some of them, what they will benefit is between 20 and 40 cents a liter on, and, and on a tank. You take a 30 or 50,000 liter tank, that's an exorbitant figure. And what, what happens with your car, if you're filling up, you're not sure, but you'll find your car jerking and it affects your car's performance. And I'd like your guess, so why can't they do random checks? And, and then, you know, all garages, random checks, and then catch these culprits out. Because this is not only limited to diesel, it's, I'm telling you, it's with, with petrol also, and this problem is, it's, it is a problem out there. Yeah, look, th- th- thanks Thanks for raising that, Eunice. Right. And again, the difficulty um, for the consumer is that you, there's no way of telling. You just don't know, right? You just don't know. Somebody needs to come up with a product on the market that's going to help us as as consumers as well be able to know whether we're getting, you know, the full product that we're paying for. George, you're in East London. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, thank you. I was listening very carefully to the gentleman regarding having the petrol station accountable. Um, you see, it's a very simple procedure. Um, the only thing I'm not sure is how do they do the testing of paraffin. But let me give a different example. For instance, uh, let's say you test contamination. So there is a simple test to see if there isn't water in the diesel. So mm-hmm. what, what I'm trying to say, is it is the responsibility of the service station to make sure that when that tank come to deliver, that they test, number one, that it is, is not water contaminated before they can offload that diesel into their into the service station. So it must be their responsibility not to buy contaminated diesel. So now the thing is, I don't know how complicated it is now to test the that paraffin, and then, then it can be a challenge for the petrol station to be able to detect the amount of paraffin in the diesel. But all what I'm saying is it must be the responsibility of a filling station to make sure that the diesel is being supplied that it's not contaminated. I think if we can control it from there, we'll be able to stop this. Because 
this back and forth of going back to the supplier, mm. it, it, it's, it's, it's not, we're not going to achieve anything. You are, if, 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 if I'm buying, if a, a shop is buying bread, it must make sure that that bread is not expired. So when I come to buy the bread, it must check with the person who's, uh, which is supplying the bread into the shop that is not expired, for example. All right. All right, so, George. All right, George in East London, we'll have to leave it there. And I take the point on holding the retailers accountable, but if you don't deal with the root of the problem, then it's you you leave it. You know, it exists in perpetuity, which is something that um, you know we need to really try and, and and root out. Let me take a quick break. I'm back with our guests, and I'm back with more of your contributions to this conversation. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana, weekdays 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. So, Robert, let me come to you. You heard part of the frustration of our listeners, especially when it comes to the actions taken by the department. What's your response? Yeah, thank you, Kate. I think Warren uh, it is a very, very good, very good point. But in fact, the regulations, as I said, the current regulations now do not allow us to have export files and so on. So that's why we've started the process to amend the regulations. And every instance where you can even issue uh, uh, sport files and so on. So people like Warren and so on are welcome to make those inputs uh, to that process so that we can see how we can tighten the regulations that we currently have. And also to assure Warren that we conduct a random uh, random sampling, uh, mainly because we have more than 4,000 service stations in the country. And with the resources that we have, we can only collect samples at the 1,080 service stations annually. We also conduct inspection at the 1,500 service stations annually. So in line with where the second call, I forgot his name, is correct that sometimes you go to a service station, they've labeled the pump as ULP 93. When you sample the fuel, you find that it's 95 inside the tank. We also follow the formal processes, issue the non-compliance notice and so on, so that they can comply. So those things we also do uh, find them in the, in the market. With George, I fully agree with George that uh, as a business person, when you order product, you must have some form of assurance that the product that you ordered is the quality that you, you actually expected. Uh, I must also say, Katie, between March, uh, from March to 2022, on the wholesale side, there are about 11 wholesale licenses that were cancelled by the department for non-compliance of some form of the other, mainly dual operations. So we also do go to the to the wholesale side. It's not that we completely don't go to the wholesale side. However, what we are saying is, with the limited resources that we have, let's target areas where we can make the most impact, and then we can then work together and see how we can together as a, a players in the in the petroleum space be able to cap this uh, scale that is happening. Thank you, Reggie. Jesse, I, I think for me, we just need to take a collective responsibility here <clears throat> because I am not saying that retailers cannot collude on this uh, issue. It's, that it's, it's highly probable it can happen. Um, but I am saying you cannot uh, say that a retailer will be able to assess the product that's being delivered, whether it's got paraffin in it. And I made this point right at the beginning of this uh, 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 talk, uh, talks around this issue. And I'm glad that the television started showing 
how exactly is fuel dispensed from the truck to the underground tank. They've been showing it. And anybody who doesn't believe me, they can go to the service station and ask, I want to see how is this product coming there? And then they must come and tell me if they were able to see the product. You are not going to be able to see the product. And there is clear areas of responsibility. And why is the process like that? Is that you cannot allow players temper in the value chain of, of supply. So the responsibility of supplying the product from the wholesaler starts from the depot where the product starts and then to the point where they put into the tank. Yeah. That yeah. is the responsibility of a wholesaler. The responsibility of the retailer is for the product that now is underground tank, which they didn't even see. They have then the responsibility to the consumer. That's why I brought the issue of Consumer Protection Act. But then if you follow that value chain of Consumer Protection Act, the consumer will come and claim to the retailer. The retailer, because in the Consumer Protection Act, franchisees are themselves recognized as consumers in their relationship with the supplier. So, and Skate, let me make this simple, because we sometimes treat fuel as different from normal retailing of products. If, and we've had it in, in South Africa, uh, canned food, they come sealed. The product is sealed. It comes dropped to a pick and pay shop right, just like butter service station. So, ShopRite received the product. They believe the product is in good standard. It's sealed. You can't do anything. The consumer buys the product. The consumer eats the product. Consumer discovered that there was poison in the product. It's not, it's, so then we cannot then say the, 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 the problem is pick and pay. All right. The problem is the person who supplied the product. All right. Who brought the product in the can. All right. Mr. Sevilla, I'm, I'm going to have to pause it there with you for now. Um, Robert, before I let you go, the names of these fuel stations that were found um, to be contaminating fuel, where can we find those? Yeah, unfortunately, we haven't published them for, for public. Why yet. not? Uh, well, uh, we warned we that uh, according to the Poppy Act, there might be some provision there that will contravene. So we are just waiting for our legal team. If they give us the go-ahead, we'll publish them. But, but surely the, the public does deserve to know, right? Yeah, but when, when we do it, we have to do it in a, in a legal way as well. So we just need a legal uh, advice on it, and once they give us that, we'll, we'll, we'll release them. All right. Okay. We've come to the end of our conversation in this hour. Thank you all for coming on to the show. It's just after 11 o'clock.